Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. All of it brought to you today by Blinds.com. For a limited time, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com by using the promo code MARTINI. Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI for $20 off. More on that in just a moment. Jim, let's begin with our good martini. And yesterday we were kind of banging our heads against the table because as the Democrats were busy shooting at themselves in a circular firing squad, President Trump decided to weigh in with a series of tweets that at best was really politically stupid uh, and at worst was uh, just plain stupid and uh, potentially racially insensitive, which a lot of people seem to agree with on both sides of the aisle. Trump is uh, fighting back, and now you've got uh, Republicans on the Hill fighting back as well. But the good martini is that the Democrats are following in Trump's footsteps. They had the, the momentum on their side, and then they just couldn't leave well enough alone and now they are uh, once again showing how radical they are. Case in point, yesterday's uh, press conference up on Capitol Hill, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. I have not made impeachment central to my election or my tenure. But since the day that I'd gotten elected, I'd said to people, it is not how, if he will be impeached, but when. So it is time for us to stop allowing this president to make a mockery out of our Constitution. It's time for us to impeach this president. Jim, Ilhan Omar is pushing this. Al Green, who's been pushing this literally since the day Trump got uh, elected president or pretty close to it, uh, is pushing this again, saying he's going to somehow force a vote, even if the leadership doesn't want one. I'd like to see how he does that. But uh, what do you make of the Democrats now overplaying their hand? You know, my people who were listening yesterday heard me say and, and, you know, read what I was writing the drill. You know, Trump just absolutely stepped in it. He cannot help himself. Uh, in any given situation, just when he's got his enemies, you know, at each other's throats, he's got to jump in. He's got to do the most politically stupid thing he possibly could. And of course, Greg, apparently the the squad, the four House Democrats heard us and they said, hold my beer. <laughs> uh, to the extent they drink beer. Uh, yeah, because look, you know, one, there's the impeachment uh, argument right after one of them said we can't get distracted. Right after they said we need to keep the focus on uh, the situation at the border and the separation of children from their families and all that stuff. And never mind that this crowd also believes that um, we should abolish ICE, that uh, the children should not be separated, that everybody who's currently in these detention centers should be released as a family. And we just hope that they show up for their hearing several months later um, while we're sorting out whether they actually have a legitimate claim of asylum or not. You know, you add up all their policies and it basically amounts to uh, open borders. Now that's, you know, that's problem number one. She calls for impeachment, um, which, oh, by the way, according to the NBC News poll, is polling at about 21% right now of total support. Um, the closer you get to election day, the more ridiculous it seems to go forward with an impeachment process that everybody knows is not going to get two-thirds votes in the Senate. Um, and they also, you could say, my suspicion is that if Democrats actually went forward with this, you'd see a pretty strong backlash, not just from Republicans, uh, who obviously would oppose it, not only from, you know, a good chunk of independents, probably a decent majority of independents, and maybe even a, a certain amount of Democrats who basically would say, wait a second, wait a second, we're going to have our chance to render our verdict on this guy. 
I want the chance to remove this guy from office. I want the chance to vote against this guy. This is our decision to decide about whether he deserves to stay in office or not. Not your guy's decision. We've never done this before. And now we're going, you know, you guys want to do this over. I mean, again, Al Green was pretty clear. He thinks the president should be impeached over his tweets. Now, if that's the if that's a new standard, we're going to have fine. But someday there's going to be a Democratic president who's going to say something stupid. And if saying stupid incendiary things is the new standard of what you can be removed from office, fine. I'm institu- we're going to institute that rule for everybody, and you're going to have endless impeachments going back and forth between the parties. Um, I think uh, so. Both uh, AOC and Omar did not really respond to questions about the. Uh, guy who tried to firebomb the uh, ICE facility up in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, thankfully, the guy didn't do that much damage, although he did set a car on fire and was trying to ignite a propane tank. Uh, he was shot by police and killed. Apparently, he left some sort of manifesto. It's pretty straightforward. This guy hates ICE, hates immigration enforcement, and believes that you know terrorism is now justified in opposition to this. Um, AOC and Ilhan Omar, I think it's more accurate to say they simply ignored the questions that were shouted to them as they were going to the press conference. Nonetheless, I don't see them rushing to denounce this guy. Um, and I think it kind of you know, further adds to the fuel to this that, look, uh, they, you know, whether or not do they approve of this terrorism, they're just going to pretend they don't see it. They don't see any type of responsibility. Now, AOC explicitly said to, of other Republicans, if you're not denouncing him, you're endorsing him. Does that apply to terrorist acts uh, committed against ICE facilities, Greg? By her own standards, they went out, down this path. Uh, this also comes after the protesters against the ICE facility uh, in Aurora, Colorado, took down the American flag, put up the Mexican flag. I think that's going to show up in a Trump ad sometime this, uh, between now and 2020. Um, and also, finally, on top of all that, we can argue about whether it's fair to ask uh, Ilhan Omar, does she support al-Qaeda, as, as Trump had said earlier in the day. I think that is probably not explicitly accurate. Although in today's morning jolt I laid out, she's got a long history of saying uh, uh, fairly controversial things, including the claims that the U.S. Uh, soldiers in the Black Hawk Down incident killed thousands of Somalis. That is not uh, in line with the historical records there. Um, some weird comments. Remember, you know, some people did something on 9-11. She talked about how uh, the tone of her professor who kept referring to Al-Qaeda as if he was kind of jittery about it. Um, just a, you know, there, there's something a little, a little unusual about the way Omar sees these things. But they put the question to her, do you support Al-Qaeda? Now, most people, I think, Greg, if you ask that question, would say, hell no, I don't support Al-Qaeda. I want to kill those bastards. To hell with them for what they did to us as a country. But instead, there simply was, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response, which is, um, I don't know. I think people are going to, some people are going to look at that and they're going to throw their brows. So top to bottom, uh, the Democrat, those four House Democrats managed to play to type and managed to, I think, exacerbate the headaches for the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. Um, they managed to, you know, basically were given a gift by Donald Trump and then they turned around and pretty much gave him a, tr- a gift right back. This is where we are with our two parties, Greg. It says a lot about our culture and it's the Twitter culture, not just uh, when you're literally on Twitter, but uh, just uh, the way our culture is now is that uh, there's just this instinct uh, to most people, or at least a lot of people, that you've got to get the last word. Even if you've already won the debate, you have to have the last word. You've got to get that last zinger in there. And by doing so, uh, both sides here have only done themselves damage. The argument, I will never apologize. I will never back down. I will never modulate or or adjust what I said. I will never say that, I, you know, that Trump brought that style to politics. I believe nobody's really found any time which he's ever, you know, 
given anything resembling a full-fledged heartfelt apology. Um, he's always found some way to blame other people for being insensitive or insisting they misinterpreted him or something like that. But he never says, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That is a style that has caught on. I don't think it's actually as, uh, as bold or as strong or as all that stuff people think. I think actually you look like an idiot doubling down over and over again when you find yourself in trouble. Um, if you make a mistake, say so. I think people actually have great, the American people have great respect for someone who could admit when they were wrong. Um, but that's not in style these days, Greg, and this is the politics we have. Wow. So if you're sick of politics and uh, you just don't want to watch this ugly back and forth, you might just want to close the blinds. And uh, to do that, blinds.com is the way to go. Because for many of us, your blinds or whatever you have on your windows is kind of an afterthought. But with brand new, made-to-order custom window coverings from Blinds.com, you can really transform the look and feel of your entire home. So when you need new blinds, there's really only one place to go, Blinds.com. With 15 million windows covered and over 30,000 five-star customer reviews, Blinds.com is America's number one online retailer for affordable, quality, custom window coverings. So whether you're looking for energy efficiency, you just moved, or you just want to refresh the look of your home, Blinds.com makes the whole experience fast and easy. Plus, every order gets free samples, free shipping, and a free online design consultation. You just send them pictures of your house, and they send back custom recommendations from a professional for will work with your color scheme, furniture, and specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to make sure everything looks as good in person as it does online. And remember, every order gets free shipping. This is the best part. If you accidentally mismeasure or you pick the wrong color, in other words, if you make a mistake, Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. They've really made it easy for you. So there's no excuse to leave up those mangled blinds. And for a limited time, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use the promo code MARTINI. That's Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI for $20 off faux wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, and more. Blinds.com, promo code martini. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, Jim, let's uh, go to our bad martini now. And this one's going to seem really, really familiar uh, because uh, we were on the on the air with the podcast, uh, Three Martini Lunch, uh, late 2010. And by that time, the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, had been put into law. But it was uh, quite a bit after that that we realized one of the central promises of that particular legislation simply wasn't true. Here's Barack Obama explaining that promise. We will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you will be able to keep your health care plan, period. Period. Yeah, not true. Lots of people lost their plans. Lots of people lost their doctors because if uh, the plans changed in any conceivable way, uh, you didn't get to keep what you had before. And so Joe Biden is now running for president. It's not even possible for him to run closer to Obama than he is. So he's rolling out his health care plan, literally calling it Obamacare 2.0. And guess what the central tenet of his plan is, as he says, he's got the more reasonable approach uh, than the Medicare for all approach. So I'd leave people the option. If you like your health care plan, not your employer-based plan, you can keep it. If, in fact, you have private insurance, you can keep it. Jim, do you believe him? First of all, you began with that, Greg, with the observation of uh, when we were doing the show in 2010. We've been doing this for nine years? Yep. Sorry, I feel really old right now. <laughs> uh, in my head, it was just three or four years ago. The, uh, the other thing I'd point out from there, 
I mean, maybe this is the reason I feel like it wasn't that long ago is because judging by this headline, Greg, or the comment from Biden, the news is in reruns. <laughs> it's midsummer, original programming gets expensive. Eh, yeah, let's just, you know, in fact, maybe some of our listeners are like, ah, Jim and Greg are in reruns. They're re- it's, a, it's a greatest hits show. They're, um, they're locked in a freezer. And they're thinking back to remember the time when, you know, Obama and Biden were saying, if you liked your plan. No, this is a real new program, folks. It's being taped on July 16th, 2019. Here, there's two great ironies here. The first is that Biden is going to, let, going to get a lot of grief for this. However, I think if you were really looking at how to change the U.S. healthcare system and healthcare reform and are there better ways to do this, the first thing you'd want to say is, well, wait a second. If people like the insurance they have, they get it through their employer. They find their co-pays and deductibles and all of that manageable. Well, you, you know, you don't want the federal government coming in and saying, no, you can't have that anymore. We're going to change it. You have to accept that. Um, that's what got, uh, you know, Obamacare in so much trouble back in when it went into effect in 2013. People have been told, if you like your plan, you keep your plan. And it turned into be the lie of the year. Now, of course, during this time, a lot of Republicans and conservatives were saying, well, wait a second. If you, if you impose all of these new rules and regulations, people who currently have plans will find those plans in violation of those rules and regulations. And thus, they will lose their plans. And Obama said, nope, nonsense. Y'all are, drove the car into the ditch and drinking a Slurpee and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> look at all the doctors who were doing those unnecessary uh, uh, you know, tonsils for the black market on tonsil trade. You know, what Biden is laying out as a principle here probably ought to be a principle. <laughs> um, unfortunately, and obviously it's an interesting principle that Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders and a bunch of other folks who are doing Medicare for All have all said, um, which is that, no, you can't keep your plan. We as Democrats are telling you, we will take you off of private insurance. Kamala Harris kind of flip-flopped a little bit, but in the end, she basically uh, said, you know, maybe we'll let you keep private insurance for a little while as we transition. But in the, the goal is to get everybody under Medicare, whether you like it or not. Um, and that, you know, so Biden is saying this. Secondly, the, the, the elaboration he puts there, uh, if Biden is not the nominee, then there's an excellent chance that, you know, when, if the Democratic nominee is running on Medicare for all, that Biden's words will show up in a uh, attack ad by the Trump campaign. So um, in a very strange way, Greg, I found myself feeling a, a little more, uh, a few more molecules of appreciation for Joe Biden, uh, telling things Democrats they don't want to hear. And oh, by the way, you know, managed to phrase it in exactly the way that it got him in trouble roughly a decade ago. Exactly. This isn't the first time uh, Joe Biden has gotten himself in trouble uh, on, on Mike talking about health care. But <laughs> uh, uh, the, even the public option, though, there's a lot of smart people out there. Uh, you've talked to them. I've talked to them, too, who will tell you that the public option is really kind of a backdoor to single payer because the government can just charge lower and lower rates until the private insurers simply can't keep up. So it's a slower path to single payer. It's not as abrupt as Medicare for all, but that is still the goal ultimately for those who want to go down that road. So don't yeah, th- don't think that they the want you to say. Argu- at the core of this argument from folks on the left is, well, Medicare costs less, therefore we should put everyone on it. Well, okay, except the problem is, is that Medicare costs less because the government sets the terms of payment. They say we're only paying up to this amount. And doctors, you know, if you accept Medicare patients, you got you to, uh, Medicare, Medicaid patients, you got to do it. Now, most doctors look at this and say, well, I'm losing money on that deal. None, and some doctors will say, I won't take any of those patients. Some doctors will say, well, I will, but I'll only take as many as I can afford. When you put everybody onto the system where they're paying less than the value of the treatment, the whole system falls apart because nobody wants to do the treatment because they're going to lose money on it. But anyway, that, that sort of logic is too complicated for the lefties. And they, they really want their free lunch. They really want to believe 
they can get exactly what they want and get somebody else to pay for it. And um, if we really if we go down this line down this this road, uh, Greg, we're going to see you know headaches that will make Obamacare look like a a, a mild Excedrin moment because we won't even be able to get access to the Excedrin probably. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And we've seen this before. There are Republicans either toying or actually running against President Trump in the 2020 primary. You don't think about it often because it's irrelevant. But former Massachusetts Governor William Weld is in the race. Uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan kicked it around, decided not to do it. Now another famous or you might say infamous uh, Republican political figure is thinking about challenging Trump as well. Let's go to roll call. Former South Carolina congressman and governor, we should point out, Mark Sanford, who lost in a 2018 primary after President Donald Trump endorsed his opponent, is contemplating challenging the president. Sanford will make his decision about running for president over the next month, he told the Charleston Post and Courier Tuesday. Quote, sometimes in life you've got to say what you've got to say, whether there's an audience or not for that message, Sanford told the Post and Courier, I feel convicted. So... Jim, I guess the campaign trail is better than the Appalachian Trail, but uh, what do you make of uh, Mark Sanford, who couldn't win a House primary, now thinks he's going to run for president? I mean, first of all, if you if you if any of you kind of felt this weird shudder going through, it was not an earthquake, it was not an aftershock of Los Angeles or anything. It was everybody on Twitter rushing to do the exact same joke about, <laughs> will he campaign on the Appalachian Trail? The exact same time. Um, they nearly broke Twitter by everybody trying to make the same joke at the same time. So the one thing that jumps out at me, you know, look, Trump's going to be the 2020 nominee. Sanford would not be able to beat Trump um, nationwide. I don't think he'd be able to beat Trump in South Carolina. I don't think he even necessarily would beat Trump in the South Carolina's first congressional district, which, oh, by the way, I visit probably about twice a year when I visit my parents. This is an area that is pretty darn Republican, uh, that is, you know, some suburbs of of, uh, Charleston and places like that, includes Hilton Head, uh, includes uh, Beaufort County, which is the fastest growing county uh, in the state, last I checked. And um, they, you know, they're, they're pretty darn Republican folks. They're pretty darn conservative. Katie Arrington, uh, running in 2018, challenging Sanford, basically made the primary a referendum on, I am loyal to Trump, Sanford is not. Sanford lost. I'm sure it stinks to lose. I am sure it hurts to lose. I am sure it is deeply frustrating to be, uh, you know, pretty darn uh, indisputably fiscally conservative and then find out that a big chunk of your constituents don't care about that. However, Mark Sanford then chose to not endorse Katie Arrington. Mark Sanford, uh, the, the rumor is Mark Sanford told his donors do not donate to Katie Arrington and told his supporters don't vote for her either. On election day, Democrat Joe Cunningham beat Katie Arrington in a district that I want to say is like a Republican plus nine or something like that. The last time they had a close congressional race before 2018 was that special election they had when um, Stephen Colbert's sister was running on the Democratic side against Mark Sanford. Democrats convinced themselves, ah, it's Sanford, it's Appalachian Trail. This is going to be uh, such an absolute, uh, and of course he won by a fairly solid margin um, and had won fairly comfortably since then. So look, you know, this is a Republican party that is Trumpified. And so the the really curious thing is that Sanford, I guess he's decided he wants to run on the issue of deficits and the debt and runaway spending. I think those are all good and important and legitimate issues, but I'll be, you know, the, to be honest, Greg, I look, I think we, I think we've had that discussion in 2016. I don't see anything that indicates that Republicans have suddenly changed their mind 
and are upset with Trump about trillion dollar deficits uh, coming back. I don't see any indication that people are that worried about deficits and the debts. And, and so I suppose if, if Mark Sanford wants to run to make a point, uh, you know, all right, go ahead, pal. It's a free country. Um, but you're, you know, what do you think? He's, you know, nationwide, you think he cracks 5% if he's lucky? You know, I mean, I guess the first question is how many people who still vote in Republican primaries are looking for a protest to vote? And then how many are willing to go out and vote for somebody a protest to vote when they all kind of know Trump is going to be the 2020 nominee? So does this mean he and Weld split the 4%, 2, 2% each? <laughs> I got to give Sanford a little bit of credit, though. He, he knows he has no chance of getting this, which also makes him a bit delusional. But he just says, sometimes in life, you've got to say what you've got to say, whether there's an audience or not. I'm not sure that's the greatest political campaign slogan. I'm going to do this anyway is kind of his bumper sticker. The other thing is, is that I, look, I guess he's not going to go off on Trump for, for messy marriages. <laughs> Probably not. Right. I mean, you know. The other weird thing is that so we, we've been making fun of all these no hopers and asterisks and gadflies who are jumping into the Democratic uh, presidential race. My fear is, you know, so Larry Hogan chose not to run because he's, you know, got a real career, got a real job. He's currently governor <laughs> of Maryland. And, you know, uh, I sneak, I have a sneaking suspicion that he basically just talked about it for a while because he liked having more attention uh, for a good six months or so as he was flirting with the idea. He wasn't really flirting with the idea. Um, but the idea is that maybe now if you're a gadfly on the right side of the aisle, you've forgotten about, let's face it, people have forgotten about Mark Sanford. And now if you want to pretend, you know, you really like hanging out at the Holiday Inn in Des Moines and, you know, the, the Hotel <laughs> Six up in Manchester and, you know, giving speech to the local Rotary Club. Hey, you know, doing doing lots of cable news interviews and radio interviews. You know, uh, this look for some people, this is how they enjoy themselves. And my fear is that, you know. We'll get a slew of republic. Like we're just now in an era where everybody and their brother are going to choose to run for president because you no longer have to be a serious candidate to, you know, be treated like a serious candidate by members of the media who should know better. Yeah. A lot of people might not remember this now. It's been close to a decade. But uh, between 2008 and 2012, as Sanford was wrapping up his second term before the scandal hit. There are a lot of people talking about him challenging Obama in 2012, but obviously he got badly derailed in, in that sense. And so I don't know if he still feels like uh, he needs to to test the waters, but it's it's such a fool's errand at this point. It's it's hard to imagine that anything productive will happen out of it, but, uh, but we'll see. Uh, Jim, fun day as always. Talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget our good friends over at Blinds.com, where right now three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off. And tune in again Wednesday for the next three martini lunch.